Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Melga Droich, and my husband and fellow master of wine, Stephen Fry. <laughs> um, yeah, something doesn't feel quite right. I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> That's an unorthodox introduction, right? Well, you know, I've got to keep you on your toes. But as you know, in the last few days, we have been compared to those very people. Mm. Uh, Giles wrote to say that you sounded like Stephen Fry. Yep. And Angeline on Twitter said, Anyone else think that Susie Barry on Wine Blast sounds like a cross between Fiona Bruce and Mel Gadroich? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I I suppose they're both great compliments, aren't they? They are. uh, I'd I'd take either. Well, so so would I. Well, yeah. You'd be all right sounding like Stephen Fry, would you? Uh, <laughs> Maybe after just a particularly heavy night on the Chambord, isn't it? Many, many bottles of red. Yeah, yeah but oh, to, to be honest, I would be very happy to be compared to, to Fiona Bruce or Mel Gadroich. You know, I I'd bet be, you I'd, would. I'd be made up. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I'm wearing right now. Well, you can see. Uh, it's pretty normal. But, uh, you know, I, what, bigger picture, though, I suppose uh, what's nice is it sort of captures the mixture of fun and earnest seriousness that we try to do on the show. So so thank you very much for those comments, guys. We, we love those. Um, but we should probably introduce ourselves properly as well, shouldn't we? I think we should. So mm. here goes. Uh, I'm Susie Barry, and he is, of course, Peter Richards. And we need to get on with this show because mm. uh, it is mm. a slightly longer special edition than usual, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Um, as ever, we are all about the content. And, and boy, do we have some great stuffing on today's show, don't we? Oh, we do. Um, yeah. We will be responding in full. And when I say in full, I mean way too long. Is that my fault or your fault? <laughs> I'm not sure. We did waffle a bit, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, joint blame. Um, to a listener question from David, whose wife is on the rampage about his sprawling glass collection. Now, I might be exaggerating for dramatic effect. I'm not sure you are. (laughs) But before we do that, we're also talking to superstar winemaker and winemaking Mm. consultant... Paul Hobbs. Yeah, what a scoop. You're not kidding. He's he's really not an easy man to track down, mm, is he? Mm. I mean, partly because he just does so many things. I think he must be one of the busiest men in wine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been described as the Steve Jobs of wine, hasn't he? And he's, he's undoubtedly one of the most prominent flying winemakers in the world right now. Uh, he's based in coastal California, uh, where he owns his own winery. Um, do you know what Paul Hobbs has called his own winery? Tell us. Paul Hobbs. Genius. You don't think it's a bit obvious? Oh, does what it says on the tin. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. It makes sense. Um. <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, he does also work across the world. With mm. He's got consultancies galore. He's got projects on four continents. Four continents. Unbelievable. I haven't got projects on one continent. Well, right? I mean, you never know. You can aspire to it, don't I? don't know. <laughs> But his projects are everywhere from Argentina to France, even Armenia, and then mm. newer ones in Spain and upstate New York. Yeah, yeah. And I spoke to him via Zoom on uh, what it has to be said wasn't the best line or connection. So forgive the technicals, uh, but the gist is well worth it. And I started by asking him to introduce himself. Yes, hi. I'm Paul Hobbs, a winemaker based here in Sebastopol, California, which is in the Russian River. And I have a few wineries, one in Argentina called Vigna Cobos, another in Cahors, France called Crocus, a winery also in Armenia, uh, one of the world's oldest wine regions that's called Yacubian Hobbs, and a new one in Galicia, Spain, which is coming out as soon as we get past this virus thing, and that'll be called Alvarez Hobbs, and also one in New York, New York State, Finger Lakes. So that's kind of what I've been up to. It's just a few things then, and I think you've outlined uh, quite early on 
the challenges that you're facing as a, as a sort of globe-trotting consultant winemaker, you know, at the top of your game with a hand in projects across, I think it's four continents. Any more continents since we last spoke? No, I haven't. No, four's enough. Um, <laughs> you know, you've been described as the Steve Jobs of wine. You know, how are you making things work right now? Well, mostly kind of like what we're doing at the moment, video conferencing and a lot of it. It's incredible. Uh, fortunately, we're well, we've been well set up from the beginning because I did a lot of that just to, to manage the kind of day-to-day activities in the various parts of the world. So you but were doing think, that anyway, where you just sort of remote yeah. video conferencing to yes. help? Yes. But, uh, you know, of course, all air travel has been shut down pretty much internationally. And so my usual trip, for example, to Argentina and Chile, Uruguay, to look out for the harvest in South America was fortunate that those harvests were very early this year. So yeah. I was able to kind of look after them because I couldn't go back in April. So you went earlier, did you? Well, I made my usual first pit stop, you might say. That's late February through the middle of March. But by the time uh, we were in the third week of March, we were essentially 85% finished in Argentina, for example, which was hmm. an unusually early year. Well, I was just speaking to Viviana Navarrete uh, a, few, a few days ago, and she was saying, you know, it's been so hard, but thank goodness, the one blessing we take away is that this year was super early. I was out there in February saying, oh, this is, this is hard. You know, it's really hot vintage. It's really early. That's bad. And now she's saying, do you know what? It's all good. It all worked out for the better. Some, you, we never know. But, it made, you know, it was very uncomfortable, the vintage, in the sense that we had never harvested varieties or vineyards that were like 20 to 30, to even in some cases, 40 days earlier than normal. Wow, and really? So, yeah, so to, to go out, particularly our top uh, blocks, our top vineyards, and make those kind of picking decisions was some of the most difficult decisions I think I've made in my career. So just talk us through that briefly. And you're talking as much about Argentina here uh, than anything, yes. I presume. So it, was it just the heat that, that meant you had to harvest things early? Yeah, uh, there were really two factors, a lack of water. Uh, the Andes are suffering at this moment uh, from a lack of snowfall. Hence, uh, our reservoirs there are depleted, and uh, a number of vineyards couldn't even be irrigated, particularly through the hot period. So when that happened, berry size shrunk. I mean, the vines kept going, but everything kind of pig- became pygmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, berry size, cluster size, weights, all that kind of thing decreased. And so, you know, we had unusually small berries. What's this vintage going to turn out like? What, what are the wines going to be like, do you think? I haven't had the privilege, unfortunately, normally I'd be back there by this time, be working with the fermentations and so on. But my team there tells me that the wines are very pure, very highly energetic. So we made good picking decisions, but we were nervous when we made them. But they may not have as, in terms of greatness, they may not be as bold or as full fleshed as, as, a, as you would say a classic vintage would be. That's, uh, that's really interesting. And, and obviously, you're hoping to be able to get out there at some stage. Uh, when all this, the travel restrictions are lifted, you'll probably be setting off as soon as you can, will you? Absolutely. I hope to be able to go in July. That would be my next. And, and mainly because we've got to start looking at blending to bottle wines in October. So if I can't go then, it's going to be quite... I'm going to be concerned. It's hard to do a virtual tasting. <laughs> can, can they send you samples or something like that? How could you make it work? And that's what would happen, but it would be a huge amount of samples. How many well, for Cobos? In the or... case of Vigna Cobos, for example, I would imagine we'd look at at least 80 samples. Yeah. So that's mm. quite a few boxes of wine. 
And you know, these samples, they're, they're pulled from tanks or barrels, so they're not the same as something that's been bottled. And they don't have the, the shelf life that uh, finished wine would have. So even if they air freight them up, which is what, what we would do, of course, th there's going to be some degradation. So it's not, it's not as good as tasting from the winery itself. But you're a guy who likes to be in the vineyard a lot, aren't you? So that must be quite frustrating. Well, you know what? That's not a problem. That's one of the beauties of our business. Of course, that's, we're consi considered an essential uh, business, which is, and all our vineyard teams are working full bore everywhere. I mean, we haven't slowed down a pace and we can't really. Mother Nature, <laughs> she doesn't care too much about the virus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how are things in Armenia? You know, Armenia is pretty much locked down. And so shipping wine, that's one of the, actually one of the biggest challenges, Peter, is moving wine from one place to another, particularly sometimes crossing international borders. So from Armenia, we've got to take it to Georgia to get it out, you know, out and shipped, and we can't. But otherwise, the work in the vineyard is, as I mentioned, going well there. The work in the winery is going well. But shipping wine into the market, that's another thing. You must be getting to be quite an expert in, in this video conferencing business. Any, any tips for the rest of us? <laughs> uh, well, typically, I, I do wear a, a shirt and a regular work pants. Yeah, I want to see what you're wearing <laughs> in the bottom half, Paul. You know, stand up. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I don't know. Um, just a bigger question then. How do you see the longer term impact of this coronavirus on, on producers and, and people in your uh, kind of role? Well, yeah, in my role, if you're a flying winemaker, you know, it's a little bit nerve wracking as you can imagine, incredibly nerve wracking actually, because you just can't follow your projects as closely as you would like. Uh, so there, there's that side of it. Then on the other side, it's more from the business point of view and, and, and keeping your employees active and paid and not losing them. And I think areas such as hospitality, in other words, tours or visits and all that is shut down. Restaurants are all, of course, all that's shut down. So the people that work in those fields. Well, I know, for example, in the U.S., a number of our distributors are furloughing or laying off all their on-premise teams uh, because what is there for them to do, really? The restaurants are closed. So we are still in crisis mode, really. It's still very fluid, and I would not really project that we'll have a clarity as to where things might go for another month or so. Okay. So all, all to play for, really. Um, I've got one final question for you, Paul. It's a difficult one. What is your ideal quarantine wine, and it's not allowed to be one of yours? Okay, you made it a little, a little tougher. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my ideal quarantine wine is a Pinot Noir, and it, because that's actually one of the wines, one of the varieties, I should say, that my wife likes the best. So I always ah. drink what she, she likes. <laughs> We, we drink a, a, a good range of Pinot Noirs. I won't mention any producers. Uh, no, but regions, give us a region or an area. Or well, of course, um, you know, we, we love uh, Sonoma Coast, Oregon, and we drink a lot of Burgundies. So those are the three. But also, you know, we've become quite fond of uh, Patagonian Pinot Noir. Yeah, yes, yeah. Okay, so for you and your, I, I love the fact you're thinking of your wife as well. That's very altruistic and uh, lovely of you. Not everyone who I've asked this question has thought about who to share it with. They're, to be honest, I think they're only thinking about drinking the whole bottle for themselves. So uh, <laughs> stick in that box, Paul Hobbs. Well done. Um, thank you very much for speaking to us. Peter, it's a great privilege. Hope to see you soon. In the thank flesh. You. 
Right, um, fun fact here. Do you know what Paul Hobbs's original dream was? Of, of, you know, of what he wanted to be in life? I can't imagine. A spaceman. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think he grew up sort of around that time, wasn't it? And and but yeah. um, the doctors told him he couldn't uh, because he got he had an issue with one of his eyes, and and, and he said that that just um, crushed him, oh. um, which was really sad, isn't it? He credits that on the positive side with giving him the sort of determination to overcome challenges, which boy does he have. You know, and I think you need in that sort of profession. And he says, um, he told me, being told no is a good way to motivate me. So it gives you a sort of an insight into his mindset. So I'm sure that he will find ample ways to overcome his, his present challenges. Oh, I'm sure he will. And it's also important actually to mention mm. something he wrote to us to say after yep. the call, which was that his California wineries, Paul Hobbs and Crossbarn, are supporting an initiative by their distributor, Skernick Wines, to help restaurant workers and people selling into into that part mm. of the trade mm. it, it, which it's, it's sort of similar um i suppose it's similar in, in in intent to what berkman wines are doing with their helpful yeah. hospitality mm. scheme which was what alex hunt was telling us all about on our last our last podcast yeah yeah it's very similar isn't it and it sounds like a great initiative um and we wish them both the best of luck uh now moving on um we've had a listener question delivered to us by stork haven't we? we have we're very excited aren't yeah, we yeah yeah well <laughs> uh, it's actually the magic of Speakpipe, uh, a super nifty online gizmo that uh, enables people to send questions over the ether right into our recording studio and and by recording studio <laughs> i mean you know back room never mind <laughs> We know what you mean. People can imagine where we are. But we have indeed had a question. It's a question from David, and it's all about glasses. After attending a number of glassware tastings, I've invested quite a lot of money and the annoyance of my wife covered real estate in a large collection of varietal glassware. Would I be just as happy with one or two carefully chosen glasses? Right, so first things first, David, um, we are very wary of getting caught in a turf war uh, in a domestic situation between you and your wife. So you, you're both right, okay? Uh, and just a tip from someone who has personal experience, she will win in the end. Oi! <laughs> so you're not listening. Uh, this is man-to-man -man here. Uh, so it's about boxing clever. And joking aside, it really is about finding a solution that works for both of you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really good question, isn't mm. it, David? I mean, David, brilliant. Thank you. It's a question we get asked a lot. And uh, and it's and as soon as it came in, we kind of both looked at each other and said, "How many wine glasses do we have?" Yeah, you do. And and so I uh, straight away went, had a look. And, you did. And I I haven't told you the answer yet. Have uh, I? You haven't, but I'm dreading it. Okay, so <laughs> uh, we have, and I'm just talking about different kinds of glass here. I'm not talking about total glasses now. Not total quantity of glasses. Styles different of glass. Types we have of wine glass. Wine glass. I stopped at forty six. Oh my goodness! And, and the weird thing was, they were in all sorts of weird places. They as are; well. they're everywhere in They're'd our house. You open a drawer, a sock drawer, or a, and they pop up. And <laughs> we need to get it's really rid of weird. Socks. I do think sometimes we actually built the house round <laughs> our, our glass and, and bottle story. Well, to be fair, I mean it is our job, um, yeah. and we we yeah. have accumulated many over the years, and mm. some of them have got nice. I mean, nice memories. They did. Some of them are like memories. I mean, a lot of people collect photos. You know, I think wine lovers have have glasses that remind them of things. You know, there's yeah. one from that trip to Austria or the sherry tasting or whatever yeah, it yeah. is. Well, I, the, the ones that I really, really think are evocative for me bring back memories, not necessarily good memories. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Go on, go on. 
the master of wine, yeah. tasting yeah. practice yeah. and yeah. exam glasses. But they're not all good memories necessarily, are they? Those are do so, well, like I say, you know, they're not necessarily. I think we associate them with pain as much as yeah, 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 yeah. suffering. Well, it's just the thought of washing and polishing 12 <laughs> glasses so many times. Lots of the humiliations that we endured yeah, at the hands yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, of those yeah. glasses. But, you know, um, and but there are another hap- happy memories as well. There are as well. We, we've got some lovely glasses of happy memories. And, and uh, for example, the, the ones from the wine festival, uh, our lovely wine festival, we had loads of lovely people and they always get their freebie glasses that we give them yeah. and they're, well, they're really nice good quality. Glasses. They're and really we are. enjoy them as well. And those have got happy memories. So I think yeah. every wine lover yeah. collects a whole, you know, comet trail of glasses as yeah. they go through. Even life. if they don't mean to. But we, I mean, but but we do buy glasses as well. Seriously, don't we, we do, so, and I think that has helped us understand over the years which wines we feel work best, which we like, and work best for us. And mm. the big question, I suppose, to start with is: Are good or expensive glasses actually worth it? Yeah, and I, th- I think the answer has to be, and I think we're, we we both agree on this unquestionably. Yes. Yes. Decent glasses are totally, totally worth it. It's like we all watch TV and movies, don't we? Now, it's like choosing to watch your favourite TV show or your favourite movie on a rubbishy, grainy, crackly, tiny black and white screen. Do those you know, exist anymore? <laughs> they do in our family. <laughs> family of hoarders. But you know, you Retro. Know, when you could watch the whole experience in full colour HD and just sit back and watch the fireworks. You know, yeah. it's crazy not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally it's a total agree. false economy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Why, it's not worth spending that money on the wine you might as well throw it down the the, the sink well not entirely but I totally get what you mean you know if you have a great wine and you put it in a really rubbish glass it just diminishes the beauty of the experience equally if you've got an average wine not a poor wine but an average wine and you stick it in a great glass it's really going to bring that wine out of itself and and it'll show it its absolute best. Mm. I mean, the, the, the George Riedel of the famous glass-making dynasty, you know, he, he always said you should spend the same amount on the glass as you do on the bottle of wine. Wow. Um, you know, which is a nice way of thinking about it. But he says, obviously, the glass will then last forever uh, and the bottle goes 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 the same night. But uh, I'm not know, sure all our glasses last forever. <laughs> no, our bottles definitely don't last forever, but our, our glasses even even less so with some of our washing up habits. But I... <laughs> But I do think that if you're going to spend that decent money on a bottle, it does. He's absolutely right. It mm. makes sense to invest in some decent glasses. Mm. So the next question is, what are decent glasses? And do you need loads of different ones? Mm. So that's the question. David, we are getting around to your question uh, eventually. Um, well, I mean, to our mind, I think a really nice glass is an elegant one, isn't it? It's something that yeah. helps you enjoy the wine. That's, that's, it's as simple as that. Um, yeah. We happen to think that the thinner the glass the better. And I know there's this whole myth about people love their thick cut glass that their grandmother probably gave them. And um, I don't know where that's come from. I know. In my my sort of head, I can sort of see that lovely old fashioned decadence that that is is associated with that kind of glass. It's also whiskey drinking or stuff, isn't it? It sort of is. And, you know, you're never going to get the best experience of a wine through that. I can see why people like it. And it it is sort of just a memory type of thing and an old fashioned thing. But it's a really good thing. Try... Try drinking water out of a really heavy glass and a really heavy fine cut glass. glass and, 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 fine and just glass. notice the difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing for wrong. us, really, there is no question. No. It Thinness needs to be thin and fine. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not relatively strong, but they're, they're just mm. very fine to drink mm. from. And that probably means uh, mouth blown, 
handmade, you know, rather than a machine manufactured glass. So on which note, uh, we've set up a little experiment here, haven't we? We've got, we have got a lineup of glasses. We, we have... are going to whiz through this a little we bit. Um, we'll put the photos of the glasses on the website so you can see the different in. shapes. You're going straight in. We're starting with an ISO glass. That is a tasting glass. They are specifically made to, for functionality for yeah. students of wine to kind of make everything yeah. a level player field. It's They're pretty like a, stumpy. A stumpy, like a little tulip shape. Uh, they, they cost about three or four pounds each. Um, but I have a problem with these. It's not very fine. Go on. My nose gets stuck in them. I mean, I don't have the biggest nose. I mean, it's not the smallest nose either, but it, it just gets stuck because mm. it's just the top is just a bit too narrow, isn't yep. it? So uh, so it gets deducted marks for, 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 for non It's fine in terms of, access. you know, you do get some decent smells from it, decent aromas, but I, I it's not my favourite glass. You can't swirl mm. enough in I'm it. I'm going to let you introduce this. Right, we're time. moving on to one which can only be I'm described sure as, and I think it probably did before my days in the wine, in the wine world, did come from a garage. We'll call it a garage glass. Garage glass, there we go. Um, it, it's huge. Useless um, because the 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 base the, the bottom bit of it is too small. There's no bowl, and then you've got a great big wide top, which means you tend to spill it on yourself. Yeah, and it's, really, the, the aromas all escape. You can't. I mean, it's, it's all right. It's okay, but it's really. Oh, you no. also can't fit much in it. It's a bit small. And that, and that is the greatest failing of any wine glass. So moving on, we're on to the elegant glasses. So we've got posh three glasses. three lovely really nice glasses, glasses here that we would say all of them we we enjoy. But how do they they perform? So this one is the Jancis Robinson Richard Brendan glass. It is the first thing to say about this one is you look at it and it just looks so elegant. It's very, very fine. The shape is beautiful. Um, and the, the experience of the wine is, is We're tremendous. going to put pictures of, of all of these glasses on our website. So we're, we're not very good at describing them, but you can, you can, you can probably imagine. I think that is, delivers everything that you want. You know, you've got enough room to swirl. You've got a fine stem, which is lovely. On which note, actually, always hold your glass by the stem because you, you don't want to warm up the wine in the bowl of the glass. Plus, you look super poncy. It does poncy. look a bit poncy, mm. but um, but it is important to, to consider that. You don't want to warm up a white wine. Perhaps you swirl it. Um, and then the the and the Jancis glass, you know, the the top of it, it, the diameter of the top is just about right. Mm, yeah, and you can get your nose in, can you? I can get my nose in. Right, we'll get your nose into this one I'll as well. Get my this nose is into the Zalto Universal. Which has been our go-to glass for a long time. Long time. Um, it's equally fine, equally as it's fine. It's very as, fine, as similar to the to the Jancis glass. It's maybe a little bit bigger. The bowl's a bit bigger. It's a bit more angular in shape, a bit more Teutonic, if that's if that uh, is fair enough. I'm not sure it is, to be honest. But um, stereotypes no there. Um, but but <laughs> but lovely, elegant. They're, they're, it's it's so sort of fine. It looks like it's fragile. It looks like a breath of wind could crack it. But I remember. Yeah. Going to see our pal Daniel Primat, who who sold us these glasses, and he said it's tougher than you think. And I remember him wincing as he got the the bowl. You were wincing, not him. I was wincing, and he literally bent it, and the stem was bending and it didn't break. How does that happen? Because he says because it's cooled slowly. They cool their glasses very slowly at Zalto, so you do get when this they're extra them. durability and almost bendiness. It's crazy. Yeah. I wouldn't try it at home. Though. No, I'm not going to try it at home <laughs> at all. Uh, so both of those glasses, though, the Jancis and the Zalto, I would say really they're so similar in many ways that it's about aesthetic. If you yeah. if you like one above the other in terms of Jancis, slightly more rounded, Zalto a little bit more. So angular. with our final glass, I'm just going to give, I'm just going to, Go this on, is an auditory... The- Introduction. Love uh, this is a balloon. This is a, a Pinot Noir Riedel glass. Um, m- much bigger balloon. 
it's a and a, and a sort of tapering. More, yeah, it's much more decadent, generous. Yeah. It's it's a it's a large. Have we actually said what wine we're glass. serving in these glasses? We haven't. Now no, we decided should. we would do a, do a little experiment with Pinot Noir. So a nod to Paul's favourite grape variety. Indeed, Paul. Uh, but Paul uh, had some great shouts there: Burgundy and Sonoma Coast and one on Oregon. But we've gone for Germany because Germany's super cool. Another place where Pinot Noir does really well, and it's a wine with lots of character but quite light, and it's really interesting to see yeah. in, in these yeah. glasses. Yeah. Um, the, so just in terms the... of prices, by the way. As well, mm. ISO pretty cheap. It's about three or four, four quid. Pounds. The garage glass we're assuming is like probably free. Free with a bag. I of think grapes. it was free. Uh, the Janssen glass is about. <laughs> it was free with petrol. Thirty quid is it? 30, <laughs> it's about thirty-five. Thirty-five. 35. So thirty, thirty-five. Zalto is a tiny bit more expensive Couple than Janssen. It's usually thirty-six, thirty-seven, and the Riedel is a bit more expensive. Well, no, no it's not. Well, actually. it depends. Riedel's funny. It depends on which glass, which range you go yeah, for. Yeah. So you can get a pair of these in the. I think it's the Vinum range for about forty-five pounds. Okay. So it de- it depends. But Riedel have different. Ranges range, and that would be more expensive, yeah. up to a hundred yeah, yeah, quid or something yeah, like that for yeah. two. So, you know, and you know, going back to David's question, do we need different glasses for different varieties? Okay, well, you can have different glasses for different varieties, and lots, of, you know, well, not lots of manufacturers make them, but some manufacturers do make them. And yes, it's really nice, but on a practical level, for me, no. Mm. You know, you do not want six glasses or eight glasses of loads of different types if one breaks you've got to make sure you source and replace that one glass i would far rather i think in a practical sense it works for us i'd rather have one universal kind of glass that works for any wine and have lots of them for breakages purely for breakages also for washing it's just easier if you've got the same glass get used to it um, so David, she has spoken. The oracle has spoken. <laughs> and practicality, a lot of it is about practicality. You know, a lot of these glasses, you can actually stick them in the dishwasher. Uh, they have to be on coolest cycle and whatnot. Probably That's not too many greasy thing, dishes yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But you can do that. Yeah. Um, and one of the best pieces of advice uh, that I was ever given was by our pal Daniel. He said, he said, never wash your glasses the same night that you use them. And that will bring down your breakages rate, I assure you. <laughs> it, also, it also, David, it gets you out of the washing up. That's not true, David. Uh, David's wife, if you are listening, he is not out of the washing up just because he didn't wash them on the night that he drank yeah. out of them. No, 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 anyway, a couple of tips. Oh, okay, a couple of tips. A couple of tips. Couple yeah. of tips. Yeah, okay. yeah, so, yeah. so, I think choose a glass that helps you enjoy your wine. This is the key thing. You know, if you like saucer type coupe, you know, for your fizz, then then go for it. Knock yourself out. You know, especially if you like drinking your wine quickly, like some people do. I'm not, you know, not pointing at anyone in particular. <laughs> Um, so rude. You know, your glasses don't even have to have a stem, do you? We have Riedel O glasses yeah. with no stems. We yeah, actually yeah. use them for water a lot, but, you know, they're yeah. quite fun. I, I like the ones with the stem. Another thing to say about fizz, is mm. we're on the theme yeah. of fizz, is make sure that you don't use too much detergent mm. on your fizz glasses because that will stop the bubbles forming. And although that's not the end of the world, you know, to look at bubbles in your glass because mostly you do the bubbles you want to experience on your tongue, uh, you don't want to make those diminish by too much detergent. Yeah, and actually, funny enough, it can polishing glasses can create static electricity which has the same effect of impeding the formation of bubbles so again david this gets you out polishing the glasses before you serve your fizz don't do it don't do it you're you're giving david all the wrong tips i'm on a mission i'm on a mission you know um anyway i'm going to summarize go on let's summarize so so to answer your question after all that waffle david Mm. essentially you can be just as happy with one carefully chosen glass as a whole load of different ones but the point is carefully chosen something that you like and your wife likes to drink out of 
buy loads of them or as many as you can afford and that allows for breakages and you don't need to keep ordering more glasses. We hope that helps, David. And if my husband gets you into trouble, then just remember it was nothing to do with me. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, I like, personally, I like to think we've struck a blow for kind of relationships and proper stemware the world over. So to my mind, our job here is done. Indeed it is. (laughs) Details of the wines and glasses are on our website, susieandpeter.com. If you like what you've heard here, then please do leave a rating and review on your listening platform of choice. And of course, subscribe if you haven't already to make sure you don't miss a moment of the many treats still to come in this series. If you want to be like David uh, and ask a question to get our views on wine-related matters and, of course, our highly ineffective relationship counselling, then do hop on our site um, click the speak pipe button um, and it takes a matter of seconds uh, otherwise join in the chat via our social media channels we are Susie and Peter on Instagram and Wine Schools and Susie Barry on Twitter thank you for listening and cheers <laughs>